We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Champions League, club versus country, the soccer lobby, what is a VP of sporting, the art of changing teams, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Thursday, May 11th, 2023? I am doing well. We were both on assignment today. We are. Uh, I come to you from our nation's capital here in D.C. The soccer lobby is hard at work. Myself and the great Carly Lloyd spent uh, yesterday and uh, part of today uh, running around and meeting with uh, both sides of the aisle and uh, talking up the uh, the Women's World Cup and everything that we at Fox are doing. And so, I mean, look, that soccer, that American soccer lobby, it is a very, very powerful entity and it can uh, it can it can influence, which is a uh, which is a good thing. And you're and you're over there in New York, right? I am in New York uh, visiting the parents. I've been here for a couple of days. Uh, fun times already. Uh, on Tuesday, we hung out in Midtown Manhattan and my father and I went to a soccer pub to watch the Real Madrid and Manchester City game, which we're going to talk about on this pod. And then uh, Wednesday, we spent a day in Brooklyn, walked around Prospect Park, et cetera, across the Brooklyn Bridge. So fun times already and lots more to come. Uh, did you watch anything? Have you been watching anything? I know you said you were going to go to a show at a certain point, but uh, anything uh, on your radar? We do have tickets to a Broadway show, Leopoldstadt, and Game 7, Knicks Heat is still a possibility because the Knicks last night won Game 5. They're down 3-2, so they have to win in Miami, Game 6. No, I have not watched the latest episode of Ted Lasso, but I've come to realize that my positive reviews of Season 3 of that show has me really zigging while everybody else is zagging because every time I look down at my phone, I see an article lambasting Season 3, so I'm really going against the grain on that. Yeah, it seems that the general consensus and, you know, the general consensus can be wrong. And again, I have not watched season three, but it seems that uh, at least in this season, um, 
Ted Lasso has finally jumped the proverbial shark. So uh, we'll see if that uh, holds true. I will be the ultimate uh, judge of that when uh, the season is over and I can binge it from uh, from start to finish. Um, I didn't watch anything, although, you know, I came out on the plane and usually, you, so what did I watch? Oh, yeah, I watched a George Michael video, Freedom uh, Uncut, I think it's called, which goes back through his um, uh, through his whole career. Wonderful writer, wonderful singer, uh, obviously one of the, <laughs> the biggest pop stars uh, to come out of the 80s, along with, you know, like Michael Jackson and, and all that, that he was up there with them. And it, it, I love rock docs, and so I'll watch them no matter what, but all rock docs are not created the same. And I, I thought this one could have been could have been better, but, you know, he wrote it, he directed it, so you knew it was going to be from his um, lens. And, you know, that's uh, that was still interesting too, but not, not great, not great. Uh, Ray Lights' candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, we got all sorts of stuff to talk about. Where do you want to start? We begin with uh, U.S. soccer making news. We know they recently hired Matt Crocker as sporting director. And then we come to find out this week that they've named Oguchi Onyeyu vice president of sporting. This is a hmm. newly created position. They made it clear this is not a replacement for Brian McBride as general manager, so we might still get a general manager as well. But Oguchi Onyeyu added to the mix. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting mix being um, put in place and accumulated with uh, JT Batson uh, at, at the at the at the head, obviously Cindy Pollard Cohn um, as the president, but then now with Crocker coming in, and then I guess I mean we haven't seen an org chart yet, so we don't ultimately know what this is all going to look like. But then you have, you know, as we mentioned, Gucci Onye, when you know where does he fit in? He is in charge of. All of the uh, clubs, both men and women, uh, in terms of what, what's it called, strengthening uh, other stakeholder relationships. So, I mean, I don't know what the hell a vice president of sporting does in in the United States Soccer Federation, but I do see a value in having somebody whose sole responsibility is to foster those relationships, make sure. I mean, look, I'm here in D.C. doing lobbying. So basically, this is a position of lobbying around the world, whether it's for youth players or I guess more importantly uh, for full national team players to make sure that it is a well-oiled relationship and everybody understands what's going on. And so whether it's, you know, the release of players or the communication of what's going on with players, whether it's the recruitment of players, which we know is so important going forward. I can, I don't know if that's a full-time job, um, but and I so I have absolutely no idea what Oguchionyewu is going to, is going to do. Keep in mind that you know he has been involved with the United States Soccer Federation. He's on the Athletes Council, if I know if I if I remember correctly. Um, and he has gone into you know kind of the front office business side of sports over the last couple of years. And so that they created a whole new position is is a little strange. And it's not the Brian McBride position. Um, so are they still going to fill that going forward? So there seems to be a whole lot more people that are going to be involved. And for those of you that scream and yell about, uh, you know, cronyism and, uh, old boy, old girl network, I mean, Oguchi Onyeo, former player, been there, done that. He's been in the machine. And so this is a hire of somebody, not directly, but oftentimes, uh, within the machine, whether you like that or you don't, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, I'm not against this, but it is funny that while the rest of us are trying to simplify the org chart and suggesting maybe doing away with this position or that one, organizations like U.S. Soccer, their instinct is always to add more layers of bureaucracy. So if they hire a general manager, now you have 
an extra person involved in these decisions when we were all suggesting maybe doing away with the general manager. But this is the way they showed in the bill. Yeah, and and quantifying, you know, the, that type of job and on what what is success for him? And look, he he will obviously he's reporting to uh, to Crocker and 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 others, I would think, and they I would hope would have an idea and, and a measuring stick, if you will, of what is success and what his mandate is. And maybe that'll become more public as uh, uh, as we go along. And look, Gauthier was worked in media. And so he, I think he has the opportunity to be a um, upfront facing type of personality in the, in the, uh, uh, in the United States Soccer Federation. And you know, that's a, that's a good thing, uh, I would think. But I, again, I just don't know what the hell the the job is and i guess we'll find out uh, going forward but congratulations to oguchi on uh, again to your point i don't know how much this this changes the trajectory of u.s soccer it certainly doesn't simplify it from the outside but again we're not on the inside and maybe mr crocker and, and others believe that this is a vital and necessary position not just to have but to create well, you mentioned part of his job might be orchestrating the release of players. That issue has risen to the fore here with this upcoming Under-20 World Cup in Argentina. It begins May 20th, comes your way on Fox Sports. Yesterday, the U.S. announced a 21-player squad for that tournament. There are plenty of names of note going from back to front. Gabriel Slonina, Caleb Wiley, Justin Che, in the midfield, Jack McGlynn, Obed Vargas, up front, Kate Cowell, Quinn Sullivan, Kevin Paredes, who will join after the group stage. but. A lot of the focus has been on the players that will not be there, who were not released by their clubs, either in Europe or in MLS. Paxton Aronson being the most notable, Eintracht Frankfurt, opting not to release him. They still have the German Cup final coming up against Leipzig, plus they're fighting to get into Europe next season in the remaining rounds of the Bundesliga. And you also had some MLS clubs that chose not to release players like Brian Gutierrez or Jalen Neal. And so this has sparked a wider debate. The U.S. is not the only country dealing with this. I am crestfallen over some of the Brazilian players that won't be playing in this tournament. France, I read, they had 28 requests for players denied by various clubs, remembering that uh, Youth World Cups are not part of FIFA's official calendar, so clubs are not obligated to release players. So there is this larger debate as to their responsibility here, especially when it's your own country. Uh, what do you make of this whole issue? Well, you know, I've told you before, Mossy, that I don't, I don't, I don't get jacked up about youth development the way that others do. And it's not that I can't see the value or that I can't get excited about a young player and extrapolate it out. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't interest me to see the unfinished product. Um, you know, having said that, this comes down to relationships, right? And so maybe coming off of the Gucci Onyewu talk, this is where communication and relationships are so important in terms of establishing what is, what, what you have as expectations, both as a player playing at a club and then the club's expectations of you and going to play for a national team, whether it's the full national team or a, a youth national team, especially in a youth world cup, that has to be dealt with early on. And, you know, for example, I think I read, uh, you know, the, the great Jim Curtin talking about how he would never want to deprive a young player of not just the the opportunity, but the honor of doing something like this. Now, Philadelphia can maybe afford to have that mindset because they're all about youth and it's all kind of part of the plan. And it's different 
Mossy, when you're talking about a Ricardo Pepe versus another player. And so understanding what their ambition is and having an understanding that as a club, you are an asset. And then it gets into the business part that we've talked about. Does it benefit the club to have this player go? Because I don't think there's a, cl- a club out there that is not going to release a player if they don't think that this is going to benefit that player. Either increasing the uh, the asset that they have, right? So the value increases because the player has a good uh, uh, youth World Cup, in this case, an under-20 World Cup. Or it benefits because it fosters that relationship. You, you, uh, you know, it's almost you get some leverage because you have agreed to do this and there's a benevolence to it that might come back and serve you going forward. And you may want to be known as a coach or a sporting director or as a club in general that not only is okay releasing it, but encourages and wants their players doing these types of things. But there's also the risk of injury. And there's also the risk of devaluing a player or not having any change at all. And so Ricardo Pepe not going to the under-20 World Cup, I, I mean, I don't know from a competitive standpoint, a U.S. standpoint, yeah, we would. I would like to see him play there. But I don't know how it changes his value uh, relative to the move that he's probably going to make, uh, make this summer. And he's already involved in the national team. And if you're looking at, from a player perspective, using a youth uh, World Cup or a youth national team as a stepping stone to the ultimate goal, which is playing for the national team, you know, that's that. He's already he's already done that, as have others when it comes to it. But there's still plenty of talent here when it comes to the U20 uh, 20 roster. But there is also plenty of talent that's not going to be there. Well, here's the Jim Curtin quote that's gotten a lot of attention. I have it right here. Okay. Sometimes we get in our own way and act like we're Europe or South America. We're not there yet. We're not Spain. We're not Germany. We're not Argentina. We haven't won a World Cup ever. Let's try to win every competition at the youth level and show we have great players because we do. Think about the kids, too. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that they may never get back again to prevent them from playing in a U-20 World Cup. I'm sorry, I don't agree with it. Maybe I'm in the minority there, but that's what I believe in, and that's what our club believes. Any of that, the guys that uh, Mike Varis, the coach, calls in, we will excitedly release them. Now, he said this uh, a week ago. I do wonder, had Philadelphia advanced to the CCL final, and let's say they had tons of injuries in the midfield, they were shorthanded in that department, would he still have released Jack McGlynn and had him miss both legs against Leon to play in the CCL fight in the under 20 World Cup? At that point, if I'm a Philadelphia Union fan, I'm wondering, wait a minute, Jim Curtin. Uh, I get that you want to be this good guy and benevolent and you see the greater good, American soccer, et cetera, but you're you're paid by the Philadelphia Union to make decisions in the best interest of the Philadelphia Union. And how is that in our best interest uh, to have one of our best players miss the most important games in our franchise's history. So you can kind of see both sides. It's not in the best interest of the Philadelphia Union. The Philadelphia Union has no responsibility at all to uh, improve or enhance the U.S. men's national team at any level. But I do think that when it comes to Jim Curtin, I think what he's laying out is a principle. And, you know, Jim Curtin, as we've said many, many times, is just a, a wonderful human being. And he's a true believer in the things that he says. And so, yeah, Masi, I think that he would release that player even if uh, even if it's detrimental to the Philadelphia Union. But also, you know, that gets into people you know, that are paying Jim Curtin's salary, that are buying tickets to see this team. And Jim Curtin is doing things <laughs> that are not in the best interest of this team playing well and delivering the entertainment value that, uh, that you have, uh, that you have promised. Um, so, so I, all of that is to say, 
is that I think what Jim Curtin said is wonderful. It is romantic. It might be, to your point, unrealistic uh, when it when it comes to what the realities are uh, on the field. But it's also, I think we talked about this a few pods ago about identity and what what is an identity. See, now that that is an identity of a club. You may not agree with it, and we may poke holes in it as we have done, but at least that is establishing an identity. This is what I believe, and this is how the club is going to act relative to a situation like this. And other clubs may do it differently, and they will have a different identity. And so in that sense, I love, well, first off, I love the sentiment that Jim has there. And secondly, I love that he puts it out publicly because it forces him to live up to it. But I think it also shows the type of guy that he is and the type of coach that he is and why people have so much time for uh, for Jim Curtin. So that's great. And also, I think if you take a step back as a coach, you know, your responsibility and your legacy is what these players become and how they, you know, how they improve. And if you honestly believe that that's the best course is sending a player. And, and by the way, Monsi, you might have a conversation with the player and some of these players might have said, you know what, I, I don't, this is not something that I have a burning desire to do. And they might come to an agreement. All right, well, we're not going to release you and we'll take the hit for that because if you come out and say that it might not be the right. Anyway, but, you know, when when Jim Curtin is talking about his players right there, I think that that garners a lot of attention. And I think it it it, it provides a loyalty um, between him and players and don't think for a second that he is not sending that out as a signal to future players that could potentially be with uh, the Philadelphia Union. And we should say there's still plenty of talent on this roster and they landed yeah. in a favorable group. They'll face Ecuador, Fiji and Slovakia. So I do think the U.S. has a chance to make a nice little run in this tournament. We'll keep an eye on that. Like I said, it's coming up on Fox Sports begins later this month. Uh, lots of MLS players on this U.S. under 20 roster. So that segues nicely into another action packed weekend coming up in MLS. Before we, before we go, uh, Masi, well, if you looked at this roster, I mean, we've already seen Gaga, Slonina, you know, kind of break out and stuff like that. Is there anybody on this this roster here that you think will use this in the way that we have talked about, use this World Cup to really take it to another level and either attract more interest than they already have, have their their value, literally their value in terms of a transfer increase? You know, the Obed Vargas's and these types of players that are young, but they're not necessarily well known. And they, without a doubt, can benefit from having a good uh, U-20 World Cup. Yeah, Obed Vargas would be one, Kate Cowell, Jack McGlynn. Uh, guys like that. So yeah, I think there are some. And there'll be breakout some, stars too. Yep. There'll be ones that we're not talking about that will break it out and we'll use that platform t- as their, their kind of coming out party and we'll return you know, uh, to, to MLS uh, wherever they go that much more uh, appreciated and obviously valued. All right, let's. Uh, what, what, what kind of games we got this weekend, Mossy? What are you looking at? So we've got uh, DC United hosting Nashville. DC will have to try to stop Hani Mukhtar who's coming off that hat trick against Chicago. So I am in D.C. here, and I actually was uh, out at the D.C. Stadium, which, by the way, is going to host the MLS All-Star Game this uh, this summer. They're very excited about that. It's sold out against uh, against Arsenal. Uh, we went out, myself and Carly Lloyd went out and um, did an appearance over there at the uh, Washington Spirit Game. They were playing uh, in uh, they were playing against Orlando in this this cup that they have in the middle of the NWSL uh, season. So it was fun. We had a good time. Again, a lot of the politicians were out there and um, 
the stadium, and I've been to that stadium a, a number of times. It's a really different and interesting type of stadium. We're going to talk a little bit more about stadiums later on, uh, later on in the pod. But everybody was very excited. You know, I was talking to uh, our security and everything, and they are they are all in right now on what uh, Wayne Rooney and company are are, uh, are doing there, and. You know, Nashville, we just saw him coming off a huge, huge win. And, you know, Hani Mokhtar that we talked about last pod is is so good. And can they continue to do it when all of the focus is on that uh, one player? But this is, I, I think that this is an important game for obviously being uh, DC United at home, but to continue to establish, to not even make us believe or, you know, the security guard believe, but make sure that that team believes in it, uh, in itself as to what they are, uh, as to what they are doing, because, I think they I think they believe, but I'm still not quite sure. Inter Miami hosts New England. Uh, Joseph Martinez scored twice against former club Atlanta last time out to become the fastest player to reach 100 MLS regular season goals. What can he do for an encore here? I mean, when I was when I was watching the uh, the broadcast last week and that 360 show over there with our friend Sasha Kleshin and uh, and others. Um, you know, they even before the game, Bradley Wright Phillips was talking about, you know, this is the game that kind of can open it up for Joseph Martinez. And look, if anybody knows about scoring goals and the ups and downs and the, you know, the droughts and the feast and famine type of uh, life that it is, it's a guy like Bradley Wright Phillips. And absolutely coming off a game like that, if you're an Inter Miami fan, you hope that Joseph Martinez has turned a corner. And the goals, obviously a penalty, and then a really nice run behind. You hope that now it starts going in uh, in form because they need they, they they need someone, and they're coming up against arguably the best team in the league uh, with Bruce Arena's uh, New England Revolution uh, coming down uh, coming down to Miami. But you know Phil Neville's still on the uh, uh, on the hot seat, and he needs wins. And like I said, beating a team like uh, like New England, and if if Joseph Martinez continues to uh, you know, to kick on, as they say from there, that uh, that would be huge because if they if they just revert to form and go right back down and New England comes in and beats the crap out of them, then right back kind of where they started. You know, Joseph, it would be interesting to see if he starts Joseph because he didn't start him the last game. And if he starts him in this game and obviously coming off the bench, it's a different type of dynamic. Not that Joseph hasn't started plenty of games in his life, but well, it's interesting to see if now Neville says he's fine. We, we can go and we're going to we're going to start and go from there. Uh, this is rivalry week, so there are several rivalry games. Hudson River Derby, the Red Bulls, now managed by Troy Lassane, will face uh, NYCFC. My dad and I are considering attending this match. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Uh, it should be a good. Now, one how would you go about? How would you go about getting there? Because uh, you're over on the uh, the other side there of the Hudson. Uh, how would you go about getting to uh, Red Bull Arena? Yeah, we'd probably drive. It'd be a nice little okay. track. But yeah. all right, all right. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, Look, new new coach boost. Will, will that happen? I I don't know. Uh, NYCFC is has shown moments and glimmers of being a better team, and I think they're going to change uh, come the uh, the summer. I think they're going to make some moves. But this is always, <laughs> I guess, a, a a fun game. But I'll be honest with you, Mossy. It should be bigger. It should be it should be more heated. It should be. It should draw more attention, and I think it should draw more interest. And I'm not just talking about the people involved. The, the what you what you want from New York types of teams is that everybody gets involved and wants to see it. 
you know, and there are people that hate watch just to see one of the other teams uh, lose or those that are just watching because of the interest generated from these big market New York type of teams. Now, that's that's the tradition. I guess that's the ideal of what you want. And this has been anything but uh, for both of these teams individually and certainly collectively when it comes to a rivalry game. So while I, you know, while I'll watch it and maybe you'll even drive out with your father to watch it, I don't think it's going to garner as much attention as it should. And that's you know, unfortunate, but that's what these brands are at this point in 2023. Well, if you see a fan run on the field and hug Tyler's magnum, if you look closely enough, you know, Mossy? <laughs> um, Austin hosts Dallas. Uh, Austin minus Sebastian Driussi right now. He's uh, battling a groin injury. Well, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. I mean, yeah, this one, I don't have a whole lot, you know, that's, that's, you know, that sticks out other than, I mean, this has not been a good season for Austin. They have struggled. They are sputtering. And this was an Austin Austin team that over the last couple of years, from a trajectory perspective, we felt they were getting better and better and better. And something has not clicked. I mean, maybe it's Claudio Reyna. I don't know. Maybe he was the, he was the, uh, the important ingredient right now. But Austin has, uh, has very quickly and very strangely become an average team not even at times uh and so you know dallas is a good team it's not a it's not a great team but you know these inner inner uh texas rivalries these are cool and i do in, enjoy them and as we hear that you know california is getting yet another mls team down in uh down in san diego you could probably have some more teams in uh, in, te- in texas obviously we have three right now but you could probably add some more you know you got San Antonio out there and and other players out uh, other places out there but I like I like the rivalries um and I like the Texas rivalries in particular. Uh San Jose remember knocked off LAFC last week and handing them their first defeat of the campaign. This weekend they're away to the Galaxy. A funny story here you'll appreciate this. Most people now think the best rivalry in MLS debate centers on El Tráfico or Seattle Portland. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was covering a Liga MX game with Keith Costigan and Kobe Jones on the call, and we ran a promo for a Seattle-Portland game, and uh, Keith referred to it as the best rivalry in MLS. And then during the next break, Kobe took him to task for it, and we all assumed that Kobe was going to bring up El Trafico. But no, Kobe said he still thinks it's Galaxy San Jose, the California Classic, though. The OG Kobe Jones still uh, wow. banging the drum for that rivalry. Yeah, I mean... it. Obviously, there's a nostalgia about it, and you know Kobe w- played in an era that, let's be honest, uh, you know as I did, there's a lot of fans right now that have no connection to either they weren't born or they just didn't see it, and it wasn't front and center as opposed to El Tráfico and those types of things. So yeah, I while I recognize that it's a it's a cool OG type of rivalry. It doesn't hold a candle to El Trafico. I love Kobe, but he he is wrong. And I'm not saying that those games back in the day weren't epic. And whether it's you know Kobe and his teams and generation, uh, or you know even Landon and those and you know the uh, the Bash brothers up there and uh, Alan Gordon's and obviously then played for the the Galaxy and that type of stuff and Wando. So yeah, there is an incredible history when it comes to these these two teams. But I think the league has moved on and that rivalry was not fostered in a way 
that even came close to rivaling an intra-city type of situation that occurred when LAFC came in. And the fact that LAFC is so good and it's within the market, I think it blows uh, LA Galaxy versus San Jose out of the water. But you know, it's not, it's 2023 and whether it's a rivalry or not, or whether I agree or Kobe agrees that it's a rivalry, it's the LA Galaxy that are at the bottom right now. This is the lowest point, as I said on the previous show, that I have seen the Galaxy. And now they got San Jose, who, by the way, are one of the better teams when it comes to Major League Soccer, uh, coming in flying after uh, beating LAFC. So the Galaxy have their hands full. Just in any type of normal setting, the Galaxy have their hands full, let alone a San Jose coming in, licking their chops because of the wounded nature of this LA Galaxy team right now. We'll see if Christian Espinosa can continue his incredible form. He scored both goals and they went over LAFC. And yeah, like I said, rivalry week. So we also have uh, Portland, Vancouver, Cascadia Cup. We have Montreal, Toronto, the Canadian Classique. So yeah, tons of uh, fun games to look forward to this weekend in MLS. We also had some midweek U.S. Open Cup action. Round of 32, which included a major upset. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds of the, USF, of the USL uh, knocked off New England uh, 1-0. Yeah, I mean, we talked uh, last week or, or last episode about the U.S. Open Cup and what it is and I guess maybe what it what it isn't. But, you know, ultimately, these types of cups are done for the promise that doesn't always pay off of these Cinderella types of moments. So congratulations to the uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds on beating the New England Revolution, as we as we mentioned earlier, one of the I think the elite teams in the 2023 MLS uh, um, season. So. That, that is huge, and it's wonderful, and it's wonderful to see, and I'm sure Bruce Arena is not upset at all about it, uh, and this, is, this actually gets to what we've talked about, about you know, t- making it so that Bruce Arena and others do take it seriously, making it so that it does matter, and that a result like this hurts, and, and it's, yeah, there's ego involved. But they'll get past that uh, pretty quickly when it comes to New England. However, on the other side, a Pittsburgh Rivers Hounds thing, and, and I was thinking about you know, I, I think I'd ask the question, how do you make the Open Cup better? Well, first off, you know, that the Pittsburgh Riverhounds were hosting, that's a good thing, okay? Uh, so giving the option to the lower-seeded team to host is a step in the right direction because it, it creates a better environment. And by the way, I know they, MLS would never do this, but if they were able to find, as it's done in England at times, some weekends that are dedicated specifically to the cup, that would just enhance the, the, the environments and the crowds, especially when you're talking about a lower seed hosting and these teams going into you know very different types of environments to have to uh, have to play. So congratulations to Pittsburgh. And then, you know, we were talking about LAFC, arguably the best team in Major League Soccer. Um, they almost uh, let one get away there too against Monterey Bay. So almost had some uh, some cup sets, and that would have been an incredible cup set had LAFC not found a way out after it was two to two to win in penalties. So. There are two non MLS clubs in the last sixteen, in addition to the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, the Birmingham Legion also nice advanced around a sixteen. Colorado did beat the Sacramento Republic uh, last year's finalists, so Sacramento not able to duplicate that Cinderella run. They are out. Some other possibilities, you know, because I, I keep brainstorming with, uh, you know, with folks and, you know, I'll text with people and say, hey, you know, what would you do to change it? And, and there's plenty of people that have racked their brains over the years on to how to change it. And it's easy just to say add more money. And, and that would change it, whether it's marketing, you know, the, the actual marketing of the tournament or the actual prize money of the tournament. But we all know that 
you know, that's at times a non-starter. You, you certainly should, and you could add more money. But apart from that, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the lower-seated uh, team at least having the option, first and foremost, to host it if they want to do so and creating those type of environments. And then you look at possible you know, rule changes or whatever, you know, having the 35-yard shootout as opposed to the regulars. You got to do something to differentiate it. You have to do something to make it special and obviously separate it out from what the what they're normally doing uh, in their uh, in their league play. So I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll brainstorm more. If you have some ideas out there, let us know uh, what you think or what you would do when it comes to the Open Cup in terms of changes either on and off the field that would make it more relevant, that would make it um, more interesting, and that would make it so that there are more that, that there is more pressure and desire for teams to do well. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will dive into Europe because there's all sorts of stuff that has gone on and will be going on going forward. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE Trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. Uh, as we said, let's take a trip around Europe because there was some interesting doings, especially when it comes to uh, Champions League. Let's start there, Mossy. What? Uh, and and I was—I'll uh, be honest—I was on the road, so I watched it after the fact and went back and watched the other stuff. But I was getting updates while I was uh, um, obviously on Capitol Hill and doing some different things, and then uh, I was flying the day before. So you're going to have to carry this one when it comes to uh, the Champions League. But I—I I obviously saw all the goals and saw all the highlights of uh, of what was going on, and. Yeah, I guess there's some some surprises. Uh, so where do you want to start? Uh, we'll begin on Tuesday. This is Champions League semifinal first leg action. Real Madrid and Manchester City played to a one-all draw at the Bernabeu. Manchester City dominated most of the first half, but I thought Real Madrid grew into the game in the latter part of the half and scored a great goal, Vinicius Jr. And then ironically, Real Madrid was much better in the second half than they were in the first half. The second half was actually an even game, but that was the half in which City finally broke through. A great strike by Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, the ball in the buildup to that goal, the ball did apparently go out of bounds. So City caught a bit of a break there that the referee didn't spot that. Uh, but nevertheless, um, in the balance of play, they were good value for that draw. It ended 1-1. So we will settle this one next week at the Etihad. So if the ball went out of bounds, the VAR didn't uh, look at it? VAR did not look at it. There's some question about whether they could have even overturned it because Real Madrid gained possession after that. And then gave it away. So that starts oh, okay. a new phase so of the play. Yeah, a new phase play. Okay, got it, got it. I mean, well, first off, uh, you know, the goal was, you know, this perfect distillation of what high press is wants to do and how it can fail, especially against a great team like Real Madrid. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't pressure great players, but you have to recognize that if and when they break that pressure and when they have great players like Vinny Jr. and others, it is going to be problematic. And it was a thing of beauty in in terms of it was just two big prize fighters looking at each other and say, bring it. In in that Real Madrid said, we're going to play out of the back. And Man City, Man City said, and we're going to pressure you. 
And all it takes is either a one lack of timing or two, just talent. And there's the timing one you can fix. The talent one, there's there's nothing you can do. And so the quick play, and then they were out. And you, you know, you heard the announcers as soon as it happened. Uh-oh, look out because of this space that opens up once you break through that pressure. Now keep in mind, it's hard to break through that pressure. And many teams don't break through that pressure. That's the whole yin and yang of that uh, of the high pressure. And then once they're off to the races, they are off to the races and your friend Vinny doing uh, doing uh, doing Vinny things. But you thought that even though Man City came back and tied it with, by the way, the shot from Kevin De Bruyne and, you know, we extol his virtues on a, on a weekly basis. And it'll be interesting to see when all is said and done with Kevin De Bruyne, where he falls in that pantheon of players, because what he has done and what he has done consistently, and he doesn't necessarily have the, the international success to couple it, but damn, this guy is just awesome. And he hit it so sweet. Anybody that has ever played soccer or I mean I guess you know played anything including golf when you hit that sweet one you know it it just feels right it comes off your foot it requires what seems like little or no power because you just hit it so perfectly and as soon as he hit it he knew and obviously that was you know a key moment in the game and but you thought second half Real Madrid was actually better even though they let him back into the game yeah, it was strange. They they played much better in the second half than they did in the first half, and yet the half in which they led was the first, and then they allowed the equalizer in the second half, so go figure. But yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that Ake didn't play and Kyle Walker came in instead mitigated some of what I talked about on our last podcast. Although City still stuck to that 3-2-4-1 formation, they did have a guy in there, Walker, who's a right back by trade, so he felt very comfortable drifting over there to guard Vinicius whenever needed, although Vinicius still ended up having a great game and scoring goal. Holland was interesting because, you know, for a lot of this season, he was that type of center forward who's on the periphery of the game and only pops up to score goals. And if you can limit his service, you can take him out of the game. And then against Arsenal, he showed a whole different facet of his game, had this brilliant all-around performance, his link-up play, he was creating chances. And so we all thought, oh my God, if this is the new normal now and he can do this as well, then we all might as well just go home. Uh, But against Real Madrid, he did kind of revert to that previous type of player. He had only, I think it was 21 touches, the fewest of any starter on either side. And it wasn't like he missed any chances that he that he should have scored, but he just wasn't that involved. So Rudiger stuck to him the whole game. So it was interesting how Real Madrid were able to take him out of the game. So the, the question when we, when we have these games is, did they do enough? But I don't know who to ask this question to. Is it, did, did Real Madrid do enough or is it, did Manchester City do enough? Yeah, I'm... I think City is the better team, and I'm picking them to go through. But I don't think this result necessarily displeases Real Madrid that much. Uh, right. I, they're more than comfortable going to the Etihad and trying to get a result. It's not that intimidating an, an environment. So th- to me, this isn't is it almost isn't isn't that what Real Madrid does though? They 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 go to these crazy things and they they don't necessarily play great, and yet somehow they find a way out of it. When we've seen it time and time again, so I I, I agree with you to your point. I don't. You know, I don't think that that this Real Madrid team is looking at that as, oh, oh, you know, what was me? They're just like, "Eh, you know, we'll go. And sometimes they don't even know how it happens. And sometimes it's not even pretty in the way that it happens. But they they do find they they do find a way. So I don't think yeah, in a strange way, I don't think City did enough in uh, in this game. But, you know, they're a great team. And if, for example, Hollander or, or others step up and they have all guns blazing, yeah, it might be the time where Real Madrid goes to the well and finds that it's empty. 
then on Wednesday, we had our all-Italian affair, Milan Derby at the San Siro. Inter take it uh, 2-0. This was Milan's home match, uh, for what that's worth. Um, both goals coming early, Dzeko and Mkhitaryan. They, they could have scored more. Chalanulu hit the post. Uh, Inter thought they had earned the penalty, and Lautaro brought down the box, but VAR reviewed it and took the penalty away, which I think was the correct call. Uh, Milan forced to play without Rafael Leon, who suffering from an abductor injury, picked up at the weekend against Lazio. So that was obviously an enormous risk. That's like taking Vinicius off Real Madrid. He's that important. Uh, they did hit the post in the second half, Sandro Tonali, but minus Leon, not a lot of inspiration there. So Inter take it 2-0, and they're obviously now in great shape to reach the final. I mean, they... And we knew that this was going to be one of these strange games where, yes, you're the home team, but it's your, it's your, or, or yes, you're the away team, but it's still your home stadium. And obviously the percentages of fans changes relative from one game to the other, but the comfort level of both teams should, uh, should not necessarily uh, change. And yet when it came down to it, it didn't matter who was home and away. There was only one elite team out there and that was Inter Milan and they showed it and to your point they could have won uh more so you did you thought that uh just just to to, you know, to highlight the uh the penalty call or the non-penalty call ultimately did you think that it just wasn't a penalty or did you think it was a dive it's hard to call it a dive because there was a, a little bit of contact there but he clearly embellished it um yeah. You know, so well, I mean, first off, according to the laws, you don't have to have contact for a foul to have occurred. You know, you take a, a swing at somebody, them jumping out of the way is not them diving in order to avoid, and you might not ever touch them, but you still have accosted them. In this case, you still will you still could be charged with you know committing a foul going forward. But you know, they went back and they uh and they looked at it and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay ultimately with the uh, with the decision there, but but more importantly, whether that decision went or didn't, uh, AC Milan's got a lot of work to do, and I don't think we talk about not doing enough. They didn't even come close to doing enough, and I think that this is done and dusted. Uh, so even though it's two nothing, is it is it uh, the most dangerous lead in sports in, <laughs> in, in in soccer? Yeah, I wouldn't say done and dusted, especially if Leon comes back. But certainly, I, I picked Inter to begin with, and I feel very good about that prediction after the first leg. I think they will be in the Champions League final as we transition to the weekend. How about, hold on, how about how about Jekko's goal? Can we give him a little bit of love for the big man? Just, uh, you know, reach the reach around, basically. <laughs> Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and, you know, he's starting over Lukaku and uh, really justifying it. Yeah, fantastic. Yep, goal. yep. All right, all right. What else? Uh, we transition to the Premier League, uh, where we have a title race going on. Uh, the match is there this upcoming weekend. Arsenal will host Brighton. Manchester City are away to Everton. City with a one-point lead and a game in hand. Keep in mind, Pep did not make a single substitution in that Real Madrid game, which if Sam Allardyce did that, I would have made fun of him. But because it's Pep, it was a genius move. Stick with the right? same 11. Right. Oh, must. Uh, I love it. I love it. So, but he is expected to rotate in this game against Everton, which means guys like Foden and Alvarez and Mares uh, might get a chance from the start. Uh, City seeing if they can remain in front of Arsenal. And Everton in desperation mode, right? I mean, if you're City, <laughs> it's this is a great game. You can rotate and you can also expect Everton to lose their shit and and open up uh, against you. So yeah, I mean, I think this is this is a problem for Everton. Um, you know, Arsenal. They, I think they should win. And but you but you think that the 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 Everton game, you think uh, Pep's going to sit a bunch of players? 
I do. Can't be too many. I mean, he's still got a title race to deal with there. Like Real Madrid yeah, are exactly. out of La Liga complete, so they're going to put out a total B team in their game at the weekend. Pep, we'll see how he manages that, but I think it, it will be a rotation. But like I said, when the guys you're bringing in are guys like Foden, Alvarez, Mars, right. they're not losing that much. But if you're Arsenal or an Arsenal fan, you're hoping and waiting for that one moment, that one slip up. Do you see this City versus Everton? It's as a possibility. That possible? Really? You know, this late in the season, you'd rather be facing a mid-table team than a relegation threat team. You know, you want to be playing teams that are kind of stuck in that no man's land where they have nothing to play nothing for. Nothing to play for. Yeah. I guess in this so. case, there is the desperation of Everton, so we'll see. And and that's the flip side of this game. So we can transition to the relegation battle. Everton hosting Manchester City, Leeds United, America's team. They have a tough one as well. They host Newcastle, while Leicester City hosts. Uh, Liverpool. So yeah, teams 17, 18, 19 on the table, all with difficult games this weekend. We interesting to see how it goes. Leeds is screwed, right? I mean, <laughs> Newcastle's Newcastle is good. And oh man. And again, well, well, look, the desperation is part of the romance of this uh when it comes to you know watching Everton and watching Leicester and watching Leeds and watching these teams that are fighting for it. And you know, while that evergreen conversation of promotion and relegation continues to go on, I just want to reiterate how I can I can see and I can be enthralled with the relegation battle and all of the, you know, like I said, the, the, the theater that's going on, the angst both on and off the field. And as we said, the desperation and how that makes for, you know, drama. And I can I can totally appreciate that. As I've said before, uh, I've lived it. And it doesn't always make for the prettiest games, but there is a blanket, of, like I said, of angst that, that is palpable. And that in and of itself ratchets up the competition. And you're looking at what others are doing, and this is happening. And you know, to your point, Mossy, if there's if one crazy thing happens, it fundamentally changes that setup. And now we're looking at both sides, uh, both sides of it, too, as you've perfectly laid out here, where, you know, if City, for example, if it's that banana peel, then all hell breaks breaks loose in terms of the title race. But also if Everton were to get three points against City and th- these types of things happening. Woo, incredible. Um, in Spain this weekend, Barcelona can clinch the La Liga title. They are away to Espanyol. If they win that, it's over. And they might not even have to do anything because Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid both played earlier in the weekend. And depending on those results, Barcelona might clinch before they even take the field. This would be their first La Liga title post-Messi. So there is some significance there. Do you think it's going to be anticlimactic? Or do you think there will be jubilant scenes in the streets and, and all that? It's yeah. always interesting for clubs of that size when you crap out in the Champions League as they did, um, yeah. then when you win the league, is it is there a little bit tarnished by the fact that you didn't perform well in Europe? And I think the circumstances here, like I said, it's uh, their first La Liga title under Xavi as manager, their first one post-Messi. I think they'll celebrate it. They'll take a lot of satisfaction in winning. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> so, so it, it could happen this weekend, right? Correct. Uh, yeah, so it happens before that second game. Because if Real Madrid were then to follow the celebrations up with going through to the Champions League final, that would be uh, that would be interesting. And look, you know, sing while you're winning, and and for Barcelona, uh, this is this is their whole season. But it hasn't really been in question for a, uh, for a while now. So I guess I'm preemptive congratulations to Barcelona until Real Madrid beats Man City and goes to the final. 
Um, at the other end of the table in Spain, uh, Valencia, way to Celta Vigo, Valencia trying to stave off rele relegation. We care about that, obviously, because of Yunus Musa, although I don't think there's any chance of him being on Valencia next season, no. regardless. No, he's not. By the way, shout out to our friend uh, Stu Holden and his uh, Mallorca team, which uh, just kind of cruised in a uh, mid-table type of uh, of year. And, you know, for, for a team that came up and for a team that recognized they were going to you know have to fight and, and to a certain extent struggle, that's a that's a good season. It's a good season for them. Absolutely. Uh, and then in Germany, title race going on there. The games this weekend. Bayern Munich hosts Schalke. Borussia Dortmund hosts Borussia Mönchengladbach. Bayern with a one-point lead with three to play. Oh, boy. Okay. So Bayern now... I mean, we've we've seen them, you know what, the bed <laughs> on multiple occasions here. But Dortmund hasn't taken advantage. Oh, man. All right. So it's this, one by the way, this, by the way, is a test of the very thing I just said. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach are a better team than Schalke. But would you rather face a team like Gladbach that's mid-table, kind of no man's land, or a team like Schalke that's near the bottom fighting relegation. So it'd be interesting to see uh, who ends up having the tougher test. Yeah, um, I think I think both Bayern and Dortmund win. And we're right back where we started. That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for uh, Ask Alexi. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your questions. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi on all the social media platforms that we have out there. And by the way, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call in to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. I think we got some voicemail this uh, this week, Mossy, right? Yep, we have two. Let's take a listen to the first one right now. Hey, Alexi and uh, Dave, Mossy. Uh, it's Alejandro from Las Vegas. I had a quick question for you guys. Um, when it comes to the GOAT debate in the NBA, it's generally used as a knock towards someone like LeBron James that he's played at three different teams to get his championships. Why is it so opposite in soccer? Or, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's been, he gets renowned for uh, doing it at different teams. Why is it so opposite? 
we'll love, we'll love your take on it. See you guys. Okay, thank you, Alejandro from Vegas. This is an interesting uh, question and an interesting phenomenon. Um, you know, I have always said that, you know, for example, in the Messi and Ronaldo evergreen type of debate, that, you know, the fact that Messi played most of his career um, for Barcelona, I mean, the vast majority of his career for, for Barcelona, and so was in that one situation and, you know, if you will, in the uh, in the bubble of Barcelona, I value what Cristiano Ronaldo has done much greater because I think it's more difficult to go to multiple teams and have success in the way that Cristiano uh, Ronaldo has done. And it doesn't mean that I don't respect and value a one club player. And let's be honest, in this in the modern game, there are very few of those types of players that only play at one club. And it, look, it's it's admirable. You talked about you know Kobe Jones, for example, earlier in the uh, in the uh, in the pod. But you know that I, I don't know who, from a basketball perspective, is uh, is tearing down. Um, What's his name again? Uh, LeBron James. LeBron James. So <laughs> I don't know anybody that's that's tearing him down because he's gone to uh, multiple teams. The way I look at it, your ability, even as a superstar and arguably the greatest player in the world, your ability to go into a new setting, to adjust to a new coach, to a new set of teammates off the field in that other 22 and a half hours to adjust to oftentimes a very different culture, maybe oftentimes a very different language, that to me shows your depth shows your ability, shows your talent. And I, you know, as I've said before, I, I do the same thing with coaches, you know, coaches that have been successful and gone to multiple different teams in very, very different environments. That to me is more valuable to, you know, someone that has just stayed there. And, I, and longevity, I, I look, I get it. It's an art and it's a skill, but eventually you adapt and you understand exactly the situation that you are in. And whether you're a coach or whether you're a player, and it's almost as if you're on you're on cruise control. It doesn't mean you can't be the greatest player in the world or the greatest coach in the world. But when I see people go to different places, I attach more value to that than one than somebody that's just one place and that's all that he or she uh, he or she is doing. And maybe maybe it's just a maybe it's just a soccer thing uh, that people do it differently and view it and, and view it differently. I I don't. And, I, and so I would apply that to LeBron James. The fact that he has gone, as, as great as he is, the fact that he has gone to multiple teams and been a success and won at those teams in the, in the evergreen conversation of how good he is and is he the greatest of all time, is he the GOAT, I would actually use that in his favor in terms of you know, laying out what he did as I would do with Cristiano Ronaldo or anybody else that has gone and been successful at multiple teams. What do you think, Masi? Well, to be clear, I think LeBron has a greater claim to being the greatest ever in his sport than Ronaldo has in his. But to the extent that there is this dynamic where people are slagging LeBron for switching teams while they're praising Ronaldo, I think a couple things. Uh, LeBron switching teams, he's still playing in the NBA, while in Ronaldo's case, as you mentioned, he's going to different countries, different leagues with vastly different styles. So that can be turned into a positive. He's showing an adaptability to go to different situations and be successful. and in LeBron's case, I know people like Michael DeCourcy might get mad at me for saying this, but there is something inorganic about the way that he switches teams every few years and, and, and the new place he goes, he immediately tries to form a super team and get a couple of stars to go there with him. Um, well, Ronaldo, his 
changes felt more organic. And um, I never felt like he was going somewhere just because it was a better chance to win than where he was previously. In fact, if you look at his career, uh, he spent six years at Manchester United. And then when he left to go to Real Madrid, at that point, Manchester United was the better club. They were coming off three straight Premier League titles and had gone to back-to-back Champions League finals. Well, Real Madrid had been eliminated in the round of 16, six straight seasons. So you could argue Real Madrid was the, the, a bigger challenge at that point. He helped Real Madrid become what they became. And then after winning four Champions League titles in five years of Real Madrid, he left there to go to Juventus, a club that hadn't won the Champions League in more than 20 years. So you could argue in that case, he was giving himself a bigger challenge. And then leaving Juventus when he did to go to this rebuilding Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the time. So you know what I mean? His his moves, I don't mm-hmm. think, were really driven by, oh, I think I have a better chance to win here than there. They were just, he was ready for change and wanted to try a different league. So I think that that might be where he gets less grief about it than LeBron. Uh, let me just make one point, though. There is an issue that unites both LeBron and Ronaldo. And I'm curious what you think about this. With the improvements in science and nutrition, players are playing longer. And a lot of these GOAT debates are getting reduced to longevity, whether it's LeBron, Ronaldo, Brady, Federer. And there's something that I find unfair to the older guys, the Pele's, the Michael Jordan's, the Joe Montana's about that, to reduce all these debates to, well, my guy at 38 is still doing this and that, while your guy at 38 was retired. I think that's unfair. In in that case, you do have to factor in the different eras, the fact that it it wasn't, when the the older guys played, it just wasn't uh, possible for a guy to maintain his highest level at that age. So I don't know. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because obviously time has moved on and science has improved. And to your point, the things that you can do to play longer exist. But you know, th- this generation that we talk about right now, 20, 30 years from now, we will be talking about something different. So I think the inevitable comparison is going is going to happen. I, I always look at it simply as the impact that that player had, you know, did, did he or she fundamentally change the way I think about the game, the way I view the game, the way I view the game through this, uh, through this player. And look, that can happen in a couple of years, or that can happen in, you know, a couple of decades, uh, a couple of decades long. And I mean, you know, sometimes a shooting star is, is the most beautiful thing and it, and it comes and goes as far as being fair, I mean, this whole compare and contrast that we that we all do, I do it, you do it, everybody has done it between now and and then. Yeah, it's not fair because it's you know completely different eras and obviously completely different technology and all the different stuff that goes that goes into. What you really have to do is say, if Cristiano Ronaldo had been born in 1965 or 1970, how good would he ultimately be? What, and and I, I tend to think that if you're good, you, it, you'd you be good in any era because you would just figure it out. Even though Cristiano Ronaldo would not have the, or, or LeBron James for that matter, you know, they would not have the hyperbaric chambers or all the, you know, all the other stuff that goes on that enables them, they're not flying on private jets, all, that, that enables them to recover and to be able to, uh, to, play, to play longer. So I get what you're saying where it's unfair, but... You know, don't worry, LeBron James is going to be fine. And what I really get you saying is that you don't like LeBron James. So that's that's the moral of the story when it comes to what we're talking about here, Alejandro, is that David Mossy does not like LeBron James. <laughs> Lakers, by the way, up 3-2 on Golden State. They lost game five, though. They had a chance to close it out. Now they got to try to do it at home. All right. Well, they're going to rely on, uh, you know, the, the guy that just 
bops from team to team and puts together teams that, that Mossy hates. I think we got another one here, right? Yep, uh, second voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hi, Alexi. Hi, Mossy. This is Johnny from the DFW area. And I want to get your opinion on something that's bothered me for a very long time. So everybody's talking about trying to get more people into the soccer tent. Um, and as, you know, a soccer fan, I want to discuss soccer with anybody, anytime. So I'm all for it. But what always happens, like specifically here in the U.S., there's always so many people who are just so against soccer that they don't even think it's a real sport. Um, a classic example is anytime any one of the big sports outlets, uh, like, you know, Fox themselves or like ESPN shares, like a really big soccer story, such as, you know, this past week Messi was suspended and he was in hot water with uh, PSG. A lot of the really big sports outlets shared that story, and it was a soccer-specific story. And always, anytime I go into the comments, there's always people in there saying, oh, soccer's for wussies, soccer isn't a real sport, it's really boring. And it, it drives me nuts because I I love soccer and it just irritates me so much that there's still so many people in the U.S. specifically that don't view soccer as one of the major sports in the country, especially when it's so popular abroad. So I just want to get y'all's take on it. I really love the podcast, and I really look forward to hearing y'all's response. Y'all take care. Looking forward to it. All right, Johnny from uh, DFW over there. Uh, thank you. This, you know, this this is interesting because first off, Johnny, um, I I love and appreciate the fact that you kind of take this personally. I love that you own this and that this eats away at you and hurts your wonderful soccer soul uh, when people are you know saying things that are you know criticizing or or being mean or disregarding. American soccer or soccer in general. I love that you take ownership of that and that you are <laughs> there to fight the good fight, if you will. You 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 gotta you gotta take a step back, and you know what do they say? Uh, you know, uh, screw the haters. Okay, no matter what, when it comes to soccer, there are going to be people that just can't wrap their little brains around it. Now, rejoice because the world in which you are living in right now is very, very different than 10, 20, 30 years ago in terms of how people view soccer, how people view soccer players. You know, me and my generation, and certainly well before my generation of players, you know, we all stand on those shoulders and we all uh, consistently over the last decades have been in an environment that is better, that it's improved. But it's also night and day in terms of, you know, the things that I used to be called just because I was into soccer. And I'm I'm certainly not alone. And the way that people would scoff or, like I said, just completely disregard soccer. And whether it's a one-on-one -on -one type of basis or when it comes to the media or anything else. And that has dramatically changed. Still got a long, uh, still got a long way to go. But, you know, turn that that anger and have that fuel you. But but know that we are headed in the right direction. Know that that tent that you talked about not only gets fuller, but actually gets bigger. And there are more and more that have, socket, uh, so have soccer 
uh, when it comes to America, whether they're playing it or not, as part of their sports palette and don't look at it any differently. And yes, there is a dinosaur class out there that will die off and will become extinct and will be, bef- and will be replaced by an American soccer public that doesn't look at soccer any differently than any other sport. And we already see it now with, with the younger generation, whether it's because they played soccer and so many more are playing soccer at a younger age, whether it's you know the influence of the FIFA game, all of these different things have gone into planting that soccer seed in more people and at a much younger age that, de- that then has bloomed into, I'm not saying a lifelong love of soccer, But there are less and less of these dinosaurs around. There are less and less of these people that just outright dismiss soccer. There are less and less of these people that say derogatory things about soccer players or those that would love uh, soccer and watch uh, soccer out there. So, Johnny, it's going to be okay. And um, sometimes we only hear the criticism And unfortunately, we lose track of all the good that goes on. And there is plenty of good. There is plenty of positive when it comes uh, when it comes to soccer. Would I like, you know, mainstream media to focus on soccer in the way that it does uh, in other cultures? Yeah, of course. Of course I would. But again, maybe I just have perspective and you don't ever want to sit on your laurels and you don't want to say, hey, this is great because still we have plenty to work with and plenty uh, and we still have you know, far to go. But as the saying goes, we've come a long way, baby. And we certainly have. Mossy, anything to uh, Johnny, to boy his, uh, his spirits when it comes to uh, the world of soccer and the culture of soccer out there and how people uh, and the sport is treated. If you want to win over the soccer haters once and for all, adopt ProRel. <laughs> there it is. It's the magic elixir. <laughs> the silver bullet. All right, listen, uh, we appreciate the uh, the calls. Again, both of those calls coming in on our uh, uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. And you can also send in uh, your questions in the more traditional way over the social media uh, platforms that we have using that hashtag Ask Alexi. Uh, and those handles, again, are SOTU with Alexi. All right, we'll take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of the show. I'll give you my one for the road. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. Uh, as we have said uh, throughout the show, Mossy and I are coming to you remotely. Mossy over there in New York. I'm here in uh, in D.C. Uh, we'll be back next week, or I'll be back next week in uh, in studio. Mossy will continue uh, to um, enjoy uh, the comforts of home out there, including, as he mentioned, a possible trip over to Red Bull Arena, which brings me to NYCFC, uh, the team that will be playing the Red Bulls uh, this weekend. And I, I think I had mentioned... Last podcast, I took a shot at, uh, not a shot, but you know, I, I, I criticized Don Garber for his very public criticism of the Open Cup and talking about some of these environments that he doesn't feel are up to par 
and conducive, and therefore he doesn't care if people are uh, are watching it because he's not happy um, and doesn't see it as a proper environment. And you know, I talked about NYCFC that has been in this league now for many, many years and came into this league promising a stadium, and yet has played uh, at a baseball stadium for their entire existence. But we come to find out that that stadium is now to be made. We're looking at a $780 million price tag for the stadium in New York City's first ever soccer-specific stadium. 25,000 seats. Also has, as as many of these projects do, uh, all sorts of ancillary types of things, including a 250-room hotel, uh, school, retail shops, affordable housing, and it's going to be in Queens next to City Field. So first off, congratulations. Congratulations to NYCFC, because this is, as we mentioned, a long time coming. I think it's going to be a game changer. I think it's going to be wonderful, not just in terms of the stadium environment, but everything that hopefully surrounds it. And I, look, I've heard this before, so I will reserve judgment. Uh, but if they do what they say they are going to do and what I guess they think they are going to do, this could be a wonderful, not just stadium but a wonderful project for the uh for the area and i think you know one of the preeminent types of stadiums as it should be when it's coming from uh from, coming from nycfc and the ownership they have the money that they have and you can see from the price tag that uh well new york real estate is still the big winner or loser depending on how you uh how you look at it but the history when it comes to stadiums in uh stadia in Major League Soccer, is a story in and of itself. Many, many years ago when the league first started back in 1996, for the most part, we all played in uh, football stadiums. And, you know, this was however, however great your piece of jewelry was, the box that you surrounded it with uh, hurt the respectability and hurt the visibility and hurt the credibility of that uh, that jewel that you were uh, that you were selling, and you know I'll never forget seeing the first time for the first time seeing the old Columbus Crew Stadium, which was the first of the soccer specific stadium, and then seeing Phil Anschutz kick it up to a whole nother level with uh, with the stadium in Carson. Now Dignity Health was you know Home Depot and all these uh, you know different uh, different names, but that was a whole nother level, and. You know, basically, these are cathedrals in, in the way that you talk about them, in the way that you make pilgrimages to them, and in the way that it brings everybody together. And it fundamentally changed the business of Major League Soccer, and it fundamentally changed the experience of soccer in the United States. And that's how important uh, these things are. And we have gone through different moments. We have gone through different uh, philosophies. For example, we have gone through... Uh, times where we have said, um, well, you know, we're just going to take whatever's available and we're going to go and we will have, you know, stadiums that are outside of the city and not necessarily in desirable areas, but that's where the land is. That's what we're going to go. And then we have gone back to making sure that it is an urban environment so that people can walk to it and go to the bars and do all of these different things. And they really have become part of the fabric of many of these communities and many of these cities and markets uh, that they are in. And they are a game changer. And we are, you know, not not everywhere, but for the most part, we are looking at soccer specific stadiums for all of these teams. And again, somebody that has some perspective having been around and seen the change 
on the field and off the field. And in this case, we're calling, we're talking about off the field. It warms the cockles of my redheaded American heart to see how far we have come and how important these stadiums are. And that we're going to have another one, by the way, in a major market when it comes, uh, when it comes to New York. That, that is awesome. The interesting thing now will be, because most of these stadiums have been in between the twenty and 30,000 uh, um, uh, number, right? The interesting thing we'll see, and we saw a little bit with uh, with Nashville, them going into the 30s, is how many going for, because we just mentioned that this one is evidently going to be 25,000, which is right in there for all of the other stadiums. But does there come a point where it makes more sense to get into the 30s, maybe get into a 40 type of level? And the final frontier, I guess it would be, is at what point does somebody spend the money, and by the way, it's a lot of money, to actually roof their stadium? and get rid of all the elements because it opens up your opportunity to play in a pristine environment. It opens up more dates for you to be able to play in that type of city. But as I mentioned before, it costs a lot of money to put a roof on any stadium, uh, including a, a soccer-specific stadium. But that, that for me, is that next level. At some point, somebody doing it. Maybe we see it when it comes to a Vegas or somebody else, if Vegas comes into the league. But a soccer-specific stadium that is climate-controlled because of a roof, ooh, and and whatever the number is when it comes to uh, how many people are going to be in, in that, whatever. But until then, I am certainly happy for NYCFC and this stadium that's coming along that Mossy and his father will be able to go to. It's not as long, a, as long of a drive uh, in terms of going to uh, New Jersey to see, uh, to see the Red Bulls. And it looks pretty awesome in terms of the uh, renderings, as they often do. Reality sometimes is different, but these renderings are pretty cool. Mossy, anything on, uh, on the stadiums, the stadia and the history? It sounds like it's going to be right next to City Field. Hopefully, the Mets horrible juju doesn't rub off. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. Well, listen. Um, we appreciate uh, you putting up with us from the uh, from the road. We hope that uh, um, you'll be able to see and or hear us uh, hear us clearly. We will be back again next week with a, a couple of shows. I got a little bit more to do here in D.C. Mossy in terms of my uh, lobbying. Got to go speak to some more people and have some uh, some more meetings, and then I will be back to Los Angeles. You're going to continue on there in New in New York. Whether you go to the game or not, have a wonderful time. My best to your family, Mossy. Enjoy the uh, show if you're going down to Broadway to see all that kind of stuff and uh anything before we go that's it all right thank you so much for reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do and whether it's you know calling in on the state of the union podcast uh hotline or whether it's sending in your questions with the ask alexi um it, we just love it we love that uh that people are involved i will tell you mossy that when i was at the uh, washington spirit game last night uh making the appearance that i was booed when i went on the uh when i went on the field and that's to be expected but i also came in contact with a lot of people that said they love the show please say hello to mossy i tell you this every time i go on the road people will come up and uh so i'm passing along the love and the thanks from lots of fans here in dc for the pod and in particular for you. So take that for what it's worth, my friend. All right, we will talk to you again next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.